0: With Dr. Good afternoon, and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in: three one zero four four one. 0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show and suggest topics for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page, and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 3104410555. Before I begin again, I'll announce the book of the week. It is Mind Wise by Nicholas Epley. Mind Wise, Why We Misunderstand What Others Think, Believe, Feel, and Want. And I'm um, a little over halfway through and it's a very interesting book that presents a lot of research related to how we perceive and misperceive what others think, feel, believe, want, and also even ourselves and the ways that we can do that. So it's a very interesting book. I definitely recommend it. And uh, parts of the book have motivated what I wanted to start the show talking about, which is the way that we view other people and also ourselves in one particular way that we can do that which is sometimes we devalue or dehumanize other people or groups of people, and sometimes we idealize certain groups of people or certain individuals. And all of us do it to some degree. Now, there are some people, for example, individuals who are suffering from borderline personality disorder that do it regularly. One of the symptoms is that they um, idealize and devalue. Even the same person in a short period of time can go from being uh, an angel, a godsend, the person that is going to make them happy and take away all of their pain, and then a few weeks, few months down the line, they become the devil, the worst thing that ever happened to them, a purely evil person. Um, now, all of us might not be as extreme as that, but all of us do it at some point or in some ways and we might not realize it. And the book I discussed maybe two weeks ago, Joseph Burgos' book, why do I do that? One, one of the defense mechanisms we have is splitting. It's hard to think of people as complicated and complex, that my husband or wife has good qualities and bad qualities, can do good things or bad things. It's a lot easier to think of it as black or white. They're either all good or all bad. And that's what splitting does. It gives us almost this comfort that we don't have to really think anymore or evaluate. And we do this in so many regards. For example, if when it comes to politics, we become very polarized. My client is all good. Everything he or she does is right, is good, is the smart thing, is wise. They're a good person. And the opponent is stupid, has bad ideas, is only in it for the wrong reasons and all these negative things And we don't. Uh, see things from without these biases. We see it in a very biased way. Not only that, we extend it to their supporters, and this was so clear in this past presidential election here in the United States, where people who supported your candidate were smart, they knew what they were thinking and doing, were logical, rational, and were good people, and the, your opponent's supporters were stupid, idiotic, racist, sexist, um, bad people, stupid people, basket of deplorables whatever else was thrown around sometimes even by the candidates themselves but that's how we viewed the other side when really neither is the case your candidate isn't all good and the supporters aren't all all good including yourself and the opponent isn't all bad same with their supporters but unfortunately we tend to think in these ways in a lot of situations because it's a lot easier than realizing you know what my candidate Has some good ideas that overall makes me want to support him or her, but also sometimes they're bad or wrong, or maybe even they do some unethical things. Lots of politicians seem to do that. And maybe my politician that I'm supporting is no different. But we'd like to believe this isn't the case. The corruption just lies outside of our candidate or our party, and within our party or our candidate, things are all good. But this is not the case. And we do this in lots of different ways with different groups. One group of people that regularly gets dehumanized, even in a way we can look at that as past devaluing, in a way seeing them as less than human, is the homeless population. We see them as somehow less than human. And in the book Mindwise, he talks about a study where that reaction was shown that the strongest feeling of dehumanization was for homeless individuals who are somehow seen as less than and this is for lots of reasons. One of the main ones is that it makes us a lot more comfortable and feel that we live in a much more safe and just world if the people that are living in such horrible conditions somehow deserve it or are somehow less than human and somehow this is just how things are supposed to be. We like to think that things are fair and just and when we see someone living in such abject poverty and in an inhumane way, well the only way to make that make sense is to say somehow maybe they're less than human or they deserved it in some way. Uh, But this is not the case. And what always takes away this inhumanity or this dehumanization that we do is when you actually talk to someone and connect to them. When we're distant from someone, they can seem very other and different and bad and not as good as us and our group or whatever the us-them dynamic is. But if you talk to an individual and learn their story, you start to see that all people tend to have the same type of desires and wants and needs. They want to be happy. They want to be close to their family or have family, close to loved ones. They want to have good things in their life and generally are good people. And the main thing is are people. They are human beings like you and me. When you actually connect to whatever the group is, if it's race, You might think people from all of this race are bad. Usually you don't have a lot of contact with them or very minimal and in certain contexts. But if you get to know them, you see they aren't these evil bad people. They're good people too, or sexuality or religion, whatever it might be. And really the only way these historic conflicts have lasted throughout history is if we see the other side as less than human. For example, Israel and Palestine, they have to, the only way they can continue a conflict for that long is to assume the other side is somehow less than human, is savage. That's one of the ways we dehumanize. They're savages, they're evil people, they just want to hurt and kill, and they don't feel anything good. Well, people from both sides of that conflict, as in all conflicts, care about their children, they care about good things, and they are good people. Yes, in both groups there's going to be bad people, just like in any group there are bad people and good people but the only way we can try to keep that conflict alive is to imagine the other side as evil, whatever the conflict may be. And we see this in war very often. When people are going to war, before the war, even in training the soldiers, there's a lot of dehumanizing the other side. They are savages, they're evil. A very common one is to compare them to animals in some ways, or robots, because basically they have to convince people to want to kill people they've never met before. And the only way you can do that is by somehow making them think they're somehow less than human. So by killing them, it's not bad. And even more, they're evil in some way. So actually by killing them, you're doing something good. You're taking away this evil force in the world. If you don't kill them, they're gonna come kill us and come kill innocent children and people. So you're doing some kind of a good thing. And that's why in a lot of the training, this is a big part of the process. And leading up to a war, we see a lot of propaganda dehumanizing the other side to make it very clear they are the enemy. They are all bad. There's no good people from your opposing side. They're all bad people. What's interesting is that they've looked at research at close combat when people actually get close to each other and they find that people have pretty bad aim when they're close to each other, more than would be expected. So You can look at someone and how good they are at shooting and even in high-pressure situations, but then when it comes to actually getting close to someone, when, as I think actually in the book, he says, when you could see the white of their eyes, you're, you're basically that close to see them as a human being, people all of a sudden become far worse at hitting their targets when they see each other because now they've become human. It was very easy when they were imagining them as this evil entity, these evil beings. That was very easy to want to kill them. Then when they saw them face to face, they said it was very hard uh, he actually shares one story in the book of this guy who was running uh, without a shirt and his pants were falling off and the guy had an easy target to potentially shoot him but he didn't even take a shot because seeing him in that moment of running and struggling and trying to pull up his own pants as he was running it just made him very human and vulnerable and he couldn't see him as just some evil person that he was supposed to kill and shoot So when we go to war, we try to dehumanize the other side because that's the only way it happens. Not only in war, but also in genocide. If we look at any time one group has gone to kill another group, they've been uh, made the enemy in some way and somehow made less than human. And again, very often through things like propaganda and spreading these ideas. The the group is very commonly identified with an animal. So you might, a very common example is before the uh, Uh, during World War II or when there was going to uh, be the Holocaust was before it started. There was all this propaganda showing that the Jewish people looked like, for example, rats, so having images of them with rat-like faces. And somehow that, again, we're supposed to exterminate these dirty, bad things that are somehow less than human. So we're not even doing something bad. We're doing something good by getting rid of them. So we dehumanize another group. To make it easier to hurt them because we're not hurting someone it's not something bad it's something good or okay they're less than human we wouldn't be able to hurt them if we saw them as equal to us and the truth of the matter is that's what most of us are and what we should look at is people aren't that different from one another we might think that people are very different and like to assume that they are but no one is much worse than you and no one is much better than you or any group that you belong to or anyone else belongs to everyone is worthy of being treated the right way and with respect and you might think i don't do this dehumanization is something that other people do to other individuals or devaluing them but we all do it to some degree and it's important to think about that we tend to think of people that are different from us or however we view their difference as somehow less than us rather than just different it's somehow not as good somehow worse and that's a big problem When we look at someone or some group as less than us, we always are opening up the door for us to do bad things to them without thinking that they are bad, because again, they deserve it. They are less than human and somehow seeing ourselves as better than them. And then the other side of the coin is idealization, which we might think of as a good thing. If we think of someone as better than others, well, at least it's a nice thing, and I don't want to get into it because of the time and I want to get to callers, but even with our kids, we sometimes do this. And we think it's a good thing. And I see it in a lot of Persian families. They think that to idealize their kids is to love them, to tell them that they never do wrong, that everything they do is great, that they're better than other people. Even to go as far as to say if they did something bad to someone else, it's okay because you're you. It doesn't matter that you cheated or you hurt someone or did whatever it might be. You are you and you deserve to be treated better than other people and all they're actually doing when they think it's love is they're having a recipe for narcissism by creating a narcissist saying that you can do whatever you want to whoever you want because somehow you deserve it and we think we're being more loving to our kids in this way now to be loving to your kid means you love them very much for who they are but you actually teach them get them to see that we are all equal and all worthy of the same things they don't deserve any better than anyone else Um, not only do they not deserve any better if they want anything they have to work for it but we don't want to teach our kids that very often we think no i want my kid you know he or she just deserves whatever they want whenever they want it okay that's nice when you can provide for them what do you think's going to happen when they go out in the real world first of all they're not going to work very hard and they're going to think they deserve it for no reason Actually, when I was talking about on Monday night's show, The Confidence Game, and about how con artists work, they have this type of mentality. I deserve better just for being me, so they don't mind cheating and scamming people to get what they want, because I deserve it. And if you tell your child from birth, they just deserve all the best things for no reason, just for being them, well, then when they enter the world, cheating, stealing, uh, scamming people doesn't seem like a bad thing, because I deserve it. I'm not doing anything wrong, I'm just making things fair because since birth I've been told, I deserve better, I deserve more. So to even idealize someone, although we think it seems like a nice thing to put someone on a pedestal, it's not a good thing. And also when you put someone on a pedestal, think about where they are. They're away from everyone else. And we know that human beings desire and need connection. So although we might even think ourselves would be so nice to be put on a pedestal, once you're up there, it doesn't feel very good, because you want to be connected. You need to be Connected and that distance is not a good feeling. So, even when it comes to your own kids or loved ones, to think that we should love them in a way that they are all good and not bad is not a good thing. Being realistic with them is actually the more loving thing. If they do something wrong, you can talk to them and be there for them, but try to understand or why they did what they did, but still show them that maybe what they did wasn't right, that wasn't a good thing to do, and get them to see the consequences of that even from the other person's perspective, not just say, oh, you did that? Who cares? They don't, they deserved it. Or you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to be sad about it or feel guilty. You're you. Yes, you're you. We all are good in our way, but we're all equal also. And so to put someone up on a pedestal or put them down as less than human, both are things that we unfortunately do more than we realize, but both are unhealthy and not true. So reflect on yourself and even think of the people around you are people that you might idealize or devalue you have someone at work that you hate you probably devalue them and anything they do is wrong and always bad and no matter what they do there she goes again doing that well maybe if someone else did it that you loved you actually probably wouldn't react the same way but now anything that person does you don't like is bad and then someone you like walks in and they can do that exact same thing and you're like oh that was cute and funny the way they did that thing they did. And we see it very differently. So the lenses we use to look at different things and different people have a huge impact in how, how we evaluate them. And until we try to evaluate those lenses, we continue making the same mistakes. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back, studio number 3104410555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air.
1: Uh, hi, Thanks Hello. for providing me with some time. Of
0: course, thanks for calling.
1: Um, thank you. Well, my main uh, issue is not to be able to make any decision, mm-hmm. which is almost to apply to everything. But okay. when it comes to my only daughter, I completely go nuts. Mm. Mm-hmm. If I just want to give you an example, so for she needs to see an orthodontist. I have been looking around for three, four months. I have seen about 20 orthodontists, 20 different opinions. I go through every single detail. Mm-hmm. And basically, I paralyze myself yep. to make a decision. That's an example and this is for almost everything and just torturing me i don't know how should i basically help
0: myself it does sound like torture that you're doing to yourself absolutely and as we call that you said paralyzed paralysis by analysis like we can think through so many things and everything that we end up not being able to make a choice let me get some information about you and then we'll we'll look at this a little bit more deeply so how old are you i'm
1: 43
0: Forty-three, okay. And what do you do as far as career or profession?
1: I'm an architect, okay. um, and I work in the same field.
0: Okay. And um, are you currently married?
1: Mm, well, that's a complicated situation. I'm married on a paper, but I haven't been living. Uh, we haven't been living together for over four years now. He doesn't even live in the same country with me. Okay. So I live alone with my daughter
2: in Canada.
0: Now. D- did you want, are you like, do you want to be married with this person and with them but you can't for some reason or you guys just got married to have the paper for some other reason?
1: No, no, no. We got married to live together but then we came to some disagreement about where to live and I couldn't handle it. After uh, four years I decided to move back to Canada and for the same, exact same reason that I'm telling you. However, nothing works. I a um, Mm -hmm. married couple on the stock i can't make a decision to even walk out Uh, to walk away from the relationship yes
0: okay that's another example yeah although you made a decision to go back to canada that must must not have been an easy one although it seems like you just couldn't take it anymore but still you made that decision um how old is your daughter Uh, she just turned
1: eight
0: eight okay um okay so you have a hard time making decisions and it can be paralyzing um you know lots of things can lead to indecision or difficulties making decision both depression and anxiety can be a part of that and of course low self-esteem related to that as well can be a big part of that Um, and what you described with your daughter and the orthodontist is is exactly the problem with the indecision that you're dealing with, that it it prevents you from making a decision. But sometimes it might be that it's protecting you from making a decision too, that you're afraid to make the wrong choice. And by just analyzing and going back and forth, you never have to actually make a decision which is a safer feeling for a lot of people. I don't have to potentially be wrong. Because... Uh, For example, if you're a basketball player, you can't miss a shot if you don't shoot it. So if I just never shoot, I'll never miss a shot. Of course, in life, we have to make lots of decisions just to take care of ourselves, and in this case, take care of your daughter. So we can't live by that philosophy. Now, I mentioned some things like anxiety, depression, self-esteem. When you look at yourself, which one of those seems to resonate or do you see within yourself? Well, I have an
1: anxiety For sure. I I think I have a depression, too. And I have been seeing a therapist for almost two years. And he thinks that I have a self-esteem problem as well. However, just I I mean, I'm trying to make some changes recently. But Mm -hmm. honestly, I haven't seen a huge difference. I mean, yeah, sure. When I wanted to buy a shoe before, I had to go to like 10 shoe shops to buy a proper shoe. At least I'm not like that anymore in little things. Uh-huh. But um, certain things, they still stay the same. Like um, anything comes to my daughter. If I want to pick the school, it drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. If I want to, uh, as I told you, like, um, pick your orthodontist, dentist, anything comes to her. Like A little bit more important issues, I'm still the same. I'm still after almost five years living alone can be affected with uh, like a guilt trip that uh, my husband is giving me and asking me to move back to where I didn't like to live, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So those big things, I cannot make a decision and move on. And I don't know how, how possibly I can fix that.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, and even in hearing you talk, we can see some of the thought pattern that you you go through. But there's a big part, the reason why uh, anxiety can play a part in indecisiveness is that we worry about the worst case scenario and what if I, you know, if I go this way exactly. and something bad happens. And then the low exactly. self-esteem also plays a part in that we're afraid we're going to get it wrong. We don't really trust ourselves or believe in ourselves. And actually a sign of self-esteem um, that, nathaniel brandon talks about is decisiveness you know when people are confident and have have self-esteem they're more decisive because you just you can think and then make a decision but when you don't really believe in yourself you doubt yourself and what you're going to decide i do want to definitely get into the present and what's going on but i want to look at your past a bit as well tell me a little bit about your family and your parents and, and what they were like and how they were treating you
1: well, um my mom was a teacher mm-hmm. and um well she was always like all the time, um, was comparing me to other kids. I had mm-hmm. to be uh, like first in everything and top notch in everything. Uh like I wasn't like number one student in the school but I all I have been always been like a second or third and it wasn't enough uh and basically she was questioning everything that i have been doing i mean yeah. i i um i could get um, lots of attention uh because like i had no choice other than study hard to be the top notch student in school um, and also uh, I was getting attention because of my look as well. I mean, I could, I, I had those attention from society all the time, but my mom especially always, always. I mean, ne- nothing was enough
2: hmm. for
1: her, and he, she was always yeah. blaming me. And I didn't grow up in a family who were like a settled and a calm family. My, my dad always had a problem. He had an accident which uh, i'm not sure if it's in his gene or it was uh, from the accident and the um, head injury that he has he has been like um he has something like a schizophrenia on and yeah. off it comes and goes it's uh, like i don't know if it is or not because like, like for example he's taking circle um, 20 milligram and he's absolutely fine if he doesn't take it he will not and so
0: i, yeah, I go up in, that's in, kind of how schizophrenia i mean it could be something else too but you know people who have schizophrenia are not necessarily experiencing let's say psychosis all of the time it can be episodic yeah. meaning they have periods where they're okay even without medication but especially if they're on medication and they get off and then that happens that that sounds like could be schizophrenia of course a brain injury can lead to certain types of behaviors and thoughts uh, but it could also be that genetically he had that but so when you were younger you remember your father having these episodes
1: yeah i was like i guess eight or nine years old when he had an accident and basically he he had like a different um, episode of uh, being sick, and my mom was the one who was managing everything. He was mm-hmm. she was working, she was managing everything, and uh, she was never happy, and she never knew how to live
2: her yeah. life. And
1: with all those problems and um, everything, he she stayed. She decided to stay. In, mm-hmm. to, to stay in, a, in her marriage. And still, even after all these years, whenever I call to talk to them, the same story is going on and going on and going on.
0: Yeah. So, in, well, there's yeah. a lot. Talk, speaking of the same story, it seems like in some ways you might be repeating the same story in that you're saying you, you're not sure you can walk away from the marriage, which we'll get into, but she showed yeah. you that even if it's really bad and horrible, you're supposed to stay no matter what. Even if it's it maybe the right decision, could be well, to leave. Uh,
1: to, well, to add to this point, like, this is my second marriage. I got married when I was 23 or 24. And, um, like, after six months, I wasn't happy at all. Like, it was a disaster. My first marriage was mm. a disaster. But it took me about six years to get divorced. Yeah. Like, um, but I finally made my mind. But this time I have a kid and uh, my husband is not a bad person but we are so different and i'm not getting what i want and hmm. obviously he's not getting what he wants either but none of us can make a decision so
0: basically, well, yeah something's yeah. got to give you know it sounds like things aren't good as they are but you know this, this you know, the childhood you described um, it definitely makes a lot of sense that you're experiencing what you're experiencing your mother as a teacher in general that could be it doesn't have to be that the mom is this way but a parent who's going to be a lot more about rules and do it this way and that way and i have an authority and you know you're going to do it wrong but then even more when she was com- constantly comparing you to other people and telling you whatever you did was not enough even when you were really achieving well being a top student but it still wasn't enough um, so of course it does uh contribute to low self-esteem but also that i just i don't do it right i'm always doing it wrong Um, and it seems like she was giving you that message many times um and maybe even in a controlling type of a way um which is not good and this is what we always tell parents a lot of times parents say well i want my kid is getting hurt or i don't want to let them get hurt so i tell them what to do because i know better first of all that's questionable that you know better But second of all, by making the decisions for your child, you don't allow them to then develop their own decision making, their own ability to trust themselves, even if they fail to learn from it, even if they uh, have mistakes to, to allow that to be okay. And we think we should make the decisions for them. And I see this in a lot of young adults, that they have controlling parents who are making all the decisions for them, telling them they're they're doing it wrong, I know better. And then all of a sudden they reach young adulthood and they're expected to make these big decisions like what career to choose and what person to be with as far as marriage goes. Um, And all of a sudden they don't know, of course, what to do and they have this expectation to pick a human being to live with for the rest of their lives when their parents made them doubt if they even knew which color shirt to wear when they left the house. So now they're doubting any decision they made, let alone these really, really big ones. Um, We are getting close to a commercial break, and I want to talk much more with you about what's going on. But the childhood you described definitely fits with someone who's going to have a hard time making decisions but also to someone who might have low self-esteem and what they're asking for and expecting in a relationship which we'll also mm-hmm. have to look at as well so just hang on the line we'll talk after the break okay Thank you. all right you're listening to in session with dr we'll be right back back before the break we're with the caller let's go back to her okay so um you you told me a, a good bit about your childhood and um your mother being the way that she was controlling and making you doubt yourself and telling you you were never enough of course was very painful but also contributed to this feeling of i don't know what's best i don't know what to do and also this expectation that whatever you choose is going to be a mistake and i think that's what also So much pressure, let's say even when you're trying to pick an orthodontist for your daughter, this seed is in your head that you're going to make the wrong choice. So even you do your research and then you decide, okay, this person is the best person. Well, you start to doubt yourself that, oh, you're going to get it wrong again. It's going to be a mistake and probably worst case scenario comes. It's going to ruin my daughter's smile or I don't know, whatever you worry about that comes to your mind. It's going to be a bad experience. They're going to rip me off. They're going to do this or that. And it, it paralyzes you. Um, but it's that you have all these seeds in your head of doubt and that I'm not good enough and I'm going to make a mistake that makes even the smallest decision become unbearable because you feel that it's going to, again, reveal your own uh, weakness or inferiority, which is not the case, but it's something that you have deep in your mind. Um, And also your father being the way that he was, I mean, that tells me there's so much instability in your life and Um, you probably didn't get enough from both of your parents from your mom you got all this controlling and a lot of negativity but then it seems like she was pretty consumed taking care of your dad once you were about eight or nine years old and he after his injury that I'm sure led to a, a lot of just not having enough and being on your own so maybe a sense of isolation even being away from your husband now something about that can feel okay for you um that, that that's something i wanted to ask you about did you have any siblings and tell me about their ages if you did compared to you uh, yes
1: yes i have a younger brother who is three years younger than me
0: okay okay yeah. so you're the oldest one uh yes okay um yeah and and so the way you described your mom's interactions with you it definitely fits into what you're talking about. Now, let's come back more to what's going on now with you and your husband. You said you've been married how many years?
2: Almost nine years
0: now. Nine years or so. And for about four years, you've lived in a set different countries.
1: Yes, more than four years.
0: Okay. Yeah. What country is he in or what area, if you don't want to say the exact country? Me,
1: he's in the Middle East, not in Iran. But okay. He's, in, he's in, in the
0: Middle East yeah. for his work? Yeah.
1: Well, that's that's uh, basically um, he. Most of his life, he has been in North America, mm-hmm. Canada and U.S. And then when uh, we got married, his family has a huge business uh, back in Middle East. So they they kept telling us to move there so he can have a share in his uh, dad company. Mm-hmm. But uh, unfortunately, when we went there, the younger brother took over everything and said I earn everything because I have been here working beside my dad and you don't have any right that got sick and he basically they uh, they didn't and then let him to get into the company and the the country that we were living was super expensive so basically um not only we didn't gain anything we lost everything like um my job his job here and nothing we went under zero, I mean we were living in the house after two two years that um, we didn't have to pay, but uh I mean we were living in a very good house, mm-hmm. we had a very good car, but no income okay. to, so then what you know, happened really? next just, and then what happened like i i I was telling him um, all the time that we have to move back to Canada because I can't. Uh, live like this, and I don't want my daughter to grow up like this. To see how unfair your uh, family are treating us, um, and he wasn't listening at all. So, well, what, so what was, was his like,
0: side that we're going to make it work here, yeah. or was he trying to get back yeah, into the he, family he, business?
1: No. The the thing is, he's telling me that my dad is alive, and. I cannot get anything from them, even when he's alive. If I leave here, I will lose everything. And that everything is not little money that I can tell him, okay, walk away. You know, I think this is not something that I can make a decision on. It's a lot of money.
0: Well, whatever the money is, and you're saying I can't make the decision for him, and I don't want you to make the decision, but you guys do have to make a decision together. You guys are now, it's your family now, and especially you have a daughter that you guys have to make the decisions for her also. So I'm not saying he should walk away from the money or shouldn't, but you guys have to come to a decision together. Okay. So he said because of, so he's thinking that if he stays there, he'll get an inheritance, but if he leaves, they won't.
2: And also, yeah, he's planning,
1: because he lost about Mm -hmm. $600,000. Not that we spend that money, because he had some property that his family took it away from him because of our life expenses over there. Mm -hmm. So basically he's staying there He started his own business Which up to now is not making any money Or at least if it's making money the expense and
2: uh,
1: (laughs) Earning is Equal So he's staying there hoping that one day That business uh, Will basically make money And can show his family That he could stand on his feet Without them supporting
0: him So basically What he's doing now is just trying to prove that prove himself to them like i'm
1: that's what i think okay that's what i see but then, from outside but he
2: doesn't believe
0: okay so. and then he thinks that if he makes money then they'll include him back in the business or they'll give him inheritance i'm, I'm not i'm missing where he has to stay there to be part of the inheritance
1: but, but well basically it's two things first, first of all he thinks that if he stay there and can um, make a money he can make for the loss that he, uh, okay. I mean financial loss, and also he can prove himself to his dad, and then they he can regain that respect that is gone. And if they respect okay. him, basically, and he's hoping that to be around his dad, maybe he can basically get uh, what it is share. From the company
0: or from okay. whatever. Okay. So, own. and I'm only hearing your side of it. So I'm sure he might present yeah. a different story. But the way you presented it, he's um, doing all this to earn the respect of his dad while sacrificing himself being a dad to his daughter. Which, which to me, doesn't really make sense. And I mean, of course, you both are responsible for what's going on to some degree. But to me, trying to earn the respect of his own father. Uh, you know that's that's a thing of the past his daughter is now right now and needs his her dad there and what you guys are doing right now is is not okay you know four years or four years plus of not living in the same home not even the same country is a big 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 problem um what does he is he okay with the situation he says okay this is working for me you being over there
1: no no he, he he keeps uh he, he is not okay with that but obviously he lives with the situation i said i don't want to um leave where i everybody is treating me like they're giving me a charity i, I couldn't handle it honestly I, I would rather to move here and live in a small apartment but i make uh, money and i spend the way that i wanted for my daughter but he decided to stay there and he keeps telling me that i cannot uh, live the way that you live i uh and um i can't be, like be an employee uh, in, in, in my entire life and uh, stuff like that so that's that's the problem Wait, so he's I, saying
0: but when me? you say live how you yeah. live he means to work for someone else or also
1: yes, financially exactly.
0: the, the way exactly. you would live financially
1: well, financially, I'm not doing the best, but honestly, financially, I have been handling everything on my own. Okay. Everything, you know, name it, I do it myself. I'm, I'm not super rich, but I earn enough money to have a um, good life and do. I'm able to do whatever I want for my daughter.
0: Okay, well, even the way you describe but it, I, I have my life. I mean, it seems like you already see your life as separate from your husband.
1: It is. Yeah. He, so, he yeah. So because what he didn't support me at all.
0: Yeah, so what keeps he's you in this? Is, yeah. So what keeps you in the marriage?
1: I don't know. Sometimes I think that I I I have no reason, honestly, because if I look at it I mean I like him but I don't like him like um he's my partner. I like him like he is my brother or a good friend Mm -hmm. or a dad to my daughter you know what i mean but still i can't walk away
0: how is he a dad to your daughter how i mean this seems pretty like they're you know they're Uh, different sides of the world
1: um how is he towards my daughter
0: i mean even like you're saying he as a dad to my daughter but how is he being a dad to your daughter
1: honestly if you ask me i think he hasn't been a dad to his daughter either because at one time, he didn't even come to see her for one year. He keeps telling me he took my daughter away, but I didn't run away. He knows where I am. He didn't. He, he never um, sent any money for her. He's 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 always playful when he's around. But if you're telling me, asking me that, what does he do? That um, like to me, nothing.
0: Okay. Now, Honestly, as no. a husband, when. No, 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 okay. Do you see him as a good partner? When If you guys were living in the same place, do you want to be with him?
1: As a good partner? Uh, well, well depend, it depends what is the definition of partner. If it's just someone to live beside me, like obviously, if I was happy living with him as a partner, I could have stayed there. And I could have find a job and stay in the same place, but uh he drove me crazy with everything he yeah. to me he is so, like a fourteen years old
0: yeah, tell me stubborn. about that when you said he drives yeah. he's driving you crazy what what was yeah. what was going on that was yeah. driving you crazy between you and him
1: well because i I had a feeling that he he doesn't understand the concept of uh being uh, Um, father or uh, responsible for a family or the only thing that he cared was somehow to prove himself to his own family and I I, I had a feeling that most of the time when I was there he was even using us to please his family to get the credit and this was so frustrating like for example six months I had to take my um, six month old daughter at 10.30 at night because his dad wanted to see him, to see him. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Stuff like that. Uh, like, I, I had no respect. I can tell that he has changed a lot during the fa- last four years. Uh, it's probably because we were away and the family situation is just getting um, 100 times worse, uh-huh. no matter what he did. So maybe he learned a lesson. But um, every time I bring out a, a, like, a um, conversation or I'm telling him that this is not going to work, you deserve to uh, have a life. I deserve to have a life either. He, he, he never listens. Like, so I he doesn't want to get divorced? That, not at all. Not at all. He keeps telling me that I love you. I love my daughter. I can't sleep without you. And this, with my... Uh, Indeciseness with everything, it t- makes my life hundred times more difficult. Okay. Because I can't walk away when he, he keeps t- he keeps telling me, You're the only person that I have, you're the only person that I love.
2: Distantly, so he,
0: he guilts you. Asking, yeah. So he gives you guilt. He gives you exactly. guilt. Exactly. Okay. I'm, I don't
1: understand what kind of love is that.
0: Yeah, I don't understand. I mean, it, uh, I don't get what you guys, you know. Um, it seems like he is, again, only from your description that I'm hearing, very preoccupied with himself and uh, almost obsessed with proving himself to his family. Almost, I think he sees leaving there as a failure that he came there and he couldn't make it work, and so he's going to basically fight till the death to to prove that no, I can make it here and and have my own business, even if it means sacrificing my family. and maybe you guys both are more okay being apart from each other. So I don't know if you guys actually want to even live together. The way you described it, he was driving you crazy. As much as you're saying he knows where you are and he can come, I don't think you want him to live with you.
1: Well, I don't... I Honestly, I don't think... I, I don't want him to live with me the way that we have been living together. Because, like, um, as I said, like... Mm, I like him like a brother. I don't have but, I, I, yeah. I don't have any sexual feelings towards him at all, not that I have it toward anyone else since i I guess it's partially far partially because I, I feel like that I have a depression, but mm-hmm. at the same time like because I, I mean i am kind of like, oh well, what, why should I get divorced? So just leave it as it is so my daughter is happy that
0: i don't i i don't think your daughter's happy i don't i'm not i'm a little confused with what you're saying um her daughter her dad her dad lives thousands of miles away i don't know what kind of that means dad Uh, and your daughter doesn't know about what it means to be married on paper if you guys were divorced i don't know if she'd be seeing him any less or you know so i don't really get what your daughter doesn't know on paper you guys are married or not she just knows her dad doesn't live in the same home and Is is not there often? You know, I do want to talk a little bit more with you because of um, what what you're talking about to me is very important. I want to get to some more thoughts on what's happening. So, hang on line. We'll talk after the break. Okay? Okay. All right. Studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Tulakwi. back let's go to our caller radio hamro you still there
2: yeah
0: okay um so before the break we're talking about where your life is at right now you and your husband have been living apart for about four over four years you said and you're with your eight-year-old daughter and i do want you to recognize the damage this has on your daughter Uh, you know i hear a lot of people talk about staying together for the kids which i always think is wrong but in this case i'm not even sure i understand what kind of together we're talking about when we're, there's thousands of miles between you and her dad.
1: Yeah, it, does, it doesn't make sense. It's just the only thing is whenever I bring up a divorce subject, she, she's having a anxiety attack. And you're right, she is
0: but what, Why? What do you mean? Are you having... You're talking to her about divorce? What do you mean? Like you want to consult with her? As an eight-year-old no,
1: I mean I, I was like I, no no I don't want to consult with her but I was uh, seeing a therapist for her because um, I, I noticed that um, she, she doesn't have the same uh, outgoing personality mm-hmm. before so I took her to especially for kids mm-hmm. and um, after a few sessions like in front of her um, the therapist brought out in like uh, he he told me um, this, well, this in this situation hurting her more. And I suggest you you get the worst. Like so many pe- people, they live and uh, uh, they live with a single parent. That they're, do- they're doing much better because this um, mm-hmm. unsettled situation that she doesn't know what's going on is hurting her more. But when we were walking out from the office. Uh, she was telling me that uh, mom I, I started shaking when he, he was talking about uh, this stuff, and I mm-hmm. just want to make sure that you guys are together. And every once in a while, she's, she's checking with me: Are you still in, that, in love with that? Are you planning to get divorced? Like she's if if worried about getting divorced. However, we uh, basically have been living alone, mm-hmm. and like a divorce.
0: yeah i mean actually divorced couples see each other much more than you guys are
1: exactly yeah that's that's the the thing yeah that's the thing that i talked to him recently and i said you know what i uh we have to at least live in the same country because i guess the last time that well why not I'm, i'm still
0: trying to understand why not in the same why you want to be with him but you don't want to live with him in the same home because I actually get the sense no. you don't want to live with him. You actually like, or may, and maybe you don't want to be that close to anyone, but you just don't want to live with him. Because I don't know if you wanted to come yeah, here, I, you'd be I, happy I, about that.
1: No, I don't know either. I don't. I, I, as I told you, I, I can't make my mind about anything. Yeah. Um, I, and your are is right. I am not sure if I will be happy, and if I can let go of, of whatever I have been through. Um, mm. And that's why I told him that we have to live at least in the same country, no matter if you're together or not, because I cannot see my daughter going through this anymore.
0: And what does he Every say to that?
1: He, yeah. Um, he, he's, he said, that like, uh, he will sort it out in two months, but he has been saying that for a long time. Even just to test the borders, to be honest with you, I asked him Uh, last time that uh, if you are not coming back here, let me know. And if you want to stay for two more years, because he keeps telling me, I'm going to stay here for two more years. Let me know, and I will try to transfer my job from here to there because I cannot see my daughter living like this. Uh, And he said, no, just wait for a little bit longer. I will let you know. I might come back. So he is planning to come back, at least that's what he's telling me. But honestly, I lost my oh. faith in whatever
0: he said. Well, I can understand that. I, I just, you know, it, it doesn't seem like he wants to be a husband or a father. And yeah. I don't know if you want to be a wife yourself. Maybe you want to be a mother, but I don't know if you really want to be a wife either.
1: Yeah, I, exactly. I don't, I don't know that either. I definitely... Enjoy every minute of being a mom, but uh, being a wife after um, two great experiences that I had—I don't know if I want it or not. I don't certainly see any reason anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think I, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think I'm glad you're going to therapy, and the issues you're dealing with are going to be deep. So I hope you keep at it. I know you're saying you felt like change was kind of slow. Um, change is slow with these things. So I hope you continue going. But, yeah, when I talk to you, it just doesn't seem like, in the way you talk about him, there's any desire or passion or that you miss him or that you want him. But you also, you know, don't want to get divorced. And, and you have to understand, to your daughter, she doesn't even really know maybe what divorce means. I mean, because, again, you guys are basically more than divorced uh, right now. Maybe she thinks that means yeah. she never gets to see daddy ever. Or, she doesn't, you know, she might not know exactly what it is. So, I wouldn't say just based on the fact that her reaction to divorce is negative that you don't get divorced. I've almost never seen a family tell the kids they're going to get divorced and the kids get happy, even in really bad marriages. So they always react negatively. It just doesn't feel good. It's sad. They were hoping things could work out. doesn't mean that being together is better than getting divorced, but in that moment, they would like for that. So I wouldn't take that as meaning too much that, oh, she said she doesn't like divorce, so I'm never going to get a divorce because she's not going to like the sound of divorce no matter what.
1: But what can I do to help myself to overcome that indecision? Well, what everything? are you afraid
0: of with the divorce? What is, is it, you know there's a few things that it, that probably come to my mind. But what comes to your mind when you think about, okay if we were to get a divorce?
1: Like the thing that I'm scared of? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, mm, the first thing is like if I make a mistake.
0: Mistake how? And I, like this is a good marriage? Uh, no, I don't know. Okay, so then what's the mistake?
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just mm-hmm. like um, I. I think that maybe that you know, the way that I look at it is just marriage is what whatever. whatever it is that that's that's it i i mean i tried twice and i i'm thinking that there's no point that's one reason but like marriage is one thing but like even for
0: <laughs> well that and we'll get to that and look you can decide to get to stay married i mean you can decide to keep this if you don't want anything else that's of course you're Your choice, but you have to just then accept that this is what it is, and that maybe we'll never be together. So you you can choose to stay married, but don't lie to yourself and say it's because this is good or something as good as here. You can say, well, I never want to marry anyone, so I'd rather stay in this whatever it is. Um, that's okay with me. But you have to still accept the cost that your daughter is paying by not living together, married or not. Even if you guys get divorced, this is bad for her. You know, even if you guys should, you're right, you should live closer together. She should be closer to her dad. This is having a huge negative impact on her, already has. We can try to minimize that, but it already has had a negative impact. So you can say, you know what, I don't ever want to get really... Be married or have a marriage and i'm okay with this but you have to accept the, the costs that you're paying by staying in this and especially to your and, daughter
1: and you know second talk if i want to give you a truth answer i think i have some security issues as well mm-hmm. and no matter that i have been on my own probably from age of 19 or 20 uh still um I feel like that um, he, he doesn't support me at all in mm-hmm. anything. But I still have a security problem with myself. Like I feel like if I walk out, what if something happened? But if I cannot support. Uh, uh the family, what if, what if, what if? Same, so, and some situation. of that, I mean,
0: which I can understand some concern, is there also a part where he could come into a lot of money and you don't want to miss on that opportunity?
1: No, honestly no okay because uh, that's that's gone I mean when i when I um married him, that was part of the like uh, Mm, decision making basically I wanted to have a comfortable life and it was one of the options that I considered but then living close to his family and noticed that no matter how much money you have like the the quality of life is so low Mm -hmm.
0: no Okay. well yeah it seems like there wasn't much of a relationship from day one the way you're talking about it it was uh, like a calculated decision I mean which it always has to be but I don't get the sense there ever was much love there
1: I I married him mostly because at that time I I felt very secure and I was in peace all the time with him, which basically became absolutely upside down (laughs) after getting married. Like before when we were dating, I don't know, just because um, he, he wanted to marry me or whatever, he was super nice, he was peaceful, I was always in peace, I wasn't worried about anything and that was the main concern that they have Mm -hmm. Uh, coming from a family that there was no peace uh, first marriage and everything but then like everything become
0: yeah but uh, again if you ask me it doesn't seem like there was much there in the relationship like there was peace or maybe it was calm whatever you know or security but it doesn't seem like there was this strong desire to be together or love no And that's why I think right now you guys are even able to tolerate this type of distance for over four years. There was never much there. So there's not this yearning from either side, like we have to be next to each other. You both really don't care that much. So you can choose to stay in this, but I want you to just be aware of what you're choosing and what you're doing. And you can't just blame him for this. At some level, you like it this way too. Not for your daughter necessarily, but for yourself. You like to be apart from him. And so you have to accept that part of the responsibility, that it's not just his fault that you guys are apart. Part of it is from you that you're okay not being close to him. Yeah, I know. So, and that's something that isn't good for your daughter. You guys have to figure it out. And I think just being close to anyone is not something you, you want. So I understand that you're saying, it's not that I want to get, even if I got divorced, that I'd be so excited to meet someone new. I'm not sure you would, because I don't think relationships are things, at best, maybe it's just to feel a sense of safety, but not this... Strong desire and connection and love—that a relationship can be.
1: And this, this is this is something new. Yeah, I wasn't like this at all. Like, uh, but this, like, for the last few years, I feel like I don't want to be in a relationship with anyone. However, I wasn't—I I was absolutely opposite
0: hmm.
1: for my entire life.
0: Well, it seems like you've had two bad experiences, and they both lasted years. Of course, that's going to contribute to it. I'm glad you're in therapy to to work on that. But I do want to come back to the indecisiveness in general also. Like when it comes to the orthodontist, you know, you have to almost set limits on yourself. Like I'm only going to see four people and I have to choose someone by next Friday. And it doesn't matter. And also remind yourself that there's no way to know that much who's better or worse. And you only can make a decision with the information you have now. Yes, if you were able to be with each orthodontist for eight years and see the experience and then come back and make a decision, you'd make maybe a different decision, but you can't do that. So you have to choose one of them. So set some limits for yourself. I have to decide by a certain date, no matter what, doesn't matter. And remind yourself that I'm not going to make a better decision by waiting longer. We think that, but it's not really the case. That if no, I,
1: actually, it makes it worse. Yeah, because it I usually does make it something worse. Needs to be done. So with some and of these
0: things, that. take it out of your own hands, because in your own hands, you're going to drive yourself crazy and say, okay, by July 20-something, I have to make a decision on this, or even by today, if you said you have already looked at all of these, I have to just pick one of them, and especially even easier, the one that she liked the most if she felt comfortable one of the offices, and that's it, and that, that's all I can. I'm going to go by, I'm not going to, and don't second guess it, don't go back and look and check the other ones and see if it would have been better somewhere else because that's what people who have indecisiveness can often do is they go back to look at how they got it wrong and of course there's no no perfect decision so you have to remind yourself of that that you're not going to get it right and there's there is no right in most of these things especially when it comes to preference and that's what a lot of people do they take something enjoyable and they make it torture. They're going to get a new car, it's something so exciting, but then they look at a few different colors and drive themselves crazy about which one's the best color to get. And instead of something being so fun and enjoyable of getting a new car, they drive themselves crazy because the focus is on getting it wrong. If I do the wrong thing, oh, I'm going to be bad again. This is going to show my stupidity or my lack of taste or my lack of whatever it is and expose me again. And so they'd rather not make a decision. So again, I'm glad you're in therapy to look at that The indecisiveness in general is important, but especially with your marriage, recognize how much you're choosing to keep it this way. And this is something that you've chosen for yourself. We do know it's not good for your daughter to be this far away from her dad. And that's something more important to me than your marriage or divorce. Because to me, you guys are already divorced. Just on paper, you're married. There's no relationship there. But the relationship between uh, daughter and father, that's forever. And she needs that. And that's right now. So I hope you guys can come up with some way,
2: unrelated to you
0: and your husband, but about your daughter having her dad closer to her. But then I have to move back
1: where I hated to
0: be. Well, I mean, if that's the only option, I mean, that's something you have to figure out. And that could be a big, you know, I don't know if that's the right thing either. Your daughter has been living somewhere for several years to say she has to now get up and and go to a new country. That's not the only solution. I mean, you can talk to your, your husband about that and that he should value her daughter over how he looks in his parents' eyes and what they're looking at and what they think. And of course, for yourself, you have to look at, okay, is divorce, that stigma of divorce, something that's keeping me from getting divorced? Maybe my mom will see it as a bad thing. My mom stayed with my dad. Still, through all this pain and suffering, a a good woman should stay with her husband, which is not true. But maybe there's some stigma there that's keeping you from making that choice. But either way, you have to accept that this is not acceptable right now for your daughter something has to change and it's up to you to figure out how to make that happen but she's the biggest victim here not you or your husband she's the one that's paying the price for your guys's you know in some ways immaturity and inability to make things work so see how you can work that out
2: okay thank you sure thanks Thanks for calling
0: take care bye-bye All right, studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolokwi. We'll be right back. In session with Dr. Fadi Tolokwi, studio number 3104410555. The last caller, of course, we talked about a lot of different things, but one main topic was indecisiveness, making decisions. And that's something that many people do struggle with. And so I did want to talk about it for a few minutes. Because indecisiveness can be, as she mentioned herself, paralyzing, but really take away from. Your life. Because if you don't decide or you can't make a decision, you can't really do much of anything from um, relationships to career to even small things like finding something fun to do. We can become so paralyzed by this inability to make a decision that actually we end up making a choice, which is the worst decision, which is to do nothing. Sometimes we forget that inaction is a big decision or is a big choice. And most of the time, the worst thing that we can do. To illustrate this point, imagine if you're walking by a pool and you see that a child is drowning and you just continue walking by. Now you wouldn't say I'm not guilty because I did nothing, so I can't be guilty. Everyone would say you're a horrible person for not saving the child's life and jumping in there and doing something, or at the very least calling for help. So inaction or indecision doesn't mean you are not making a mistake or not doing something wrong. In actuality, many times the worst things that we do come from not making a decision, not taking action. So inaction is sometimes the worst action. And just because you didn't do anything doesn't mean you didn't do anything wrong. Um, But when it comes to making decisions, as I mentioned with the caller, of course, there can be lots of things that we can look at in making or having a difficulty making a decision. But we do want to focus on a, a few of them as the main culprits. One is anxiety. There is this feeling of uh, I don't know what to do, what's the right thing to do And very often, as was the case with our caller, it's because we look for the worst case scenario or we are afraid of the worst case scenario. And that's something that anxiety is. We have a fear of what could happen when we do something or something is going to happen and it's that worst case scenario. So what if I what if I apply for that job and this happens and it's the worst job in the world and I regret it or what if I, pick a flight and it ends up being a bad flight and something bad happens and I don't want to do it. So it's easier just not to make a choice. So by with anxiety, we fear what our decision will lead to and we feel safer not to make a decision. Um, but oftentimes this serves a protective factor or a protective, um, I guess, way of living because if I don't make a decision, I don't have to face certain things. So let's say we can sometimes think about Someone says I want to go on a date and I want to ask this girl or I want to maybe ask that girl and I don't know which one and they debate in their mind over and over okay which one would be the right choice and they go back and forth back and forth and somehow think they're being they're being proactive by thinking about it or taking charge of their life cuz they're thinking But sometimes they do this so that they don't have to make a decision. Oh, well, you know, I want to think things through a little bit more. And we can even tell ourselves certain things. Oh, you know, you don't want to rush to judgment or you don't want to just, you know, act in haste. So let's just think a little bit more. But they're protecting themselves from facing another anxiety of actually having to talk to someone, potentially be, let's say, rejected or go on a date or start a relationship and all those other fears. But by sitting in this place of trying to decide they don't have to make that choice and face those things. So very often, not making a decision is something that we do to protect ourselves from facing something else we are scared of. Okay, I want to, you know, get a new job, but I don't know what's the right career path so we can spend our whole lives trying to figure out the right career path. But actually, we might be afraid of the responsibility of a career or a job or what it's going to be like when we're there, or we don't want to work for someone, or we don't want to work in a certain way, or we don't want to work, period. So I'm just going to spend my time thinking about what's the right choice to make and never actually make a choice. So we can be indecisive for lots of reasons. A lot of times there is anxiety and also sometimes we're trying to protect ourselves from doing something that we don't want to do, something else that we're afraid of, not the decision itself, but the consequence of what we'll have to do once we make a decision. And of course, self-esteem can play a big part in indecisiveness as well. When we have low self-esteem, especially if we've, if we've been told that we make bad decisions or we don't know what we're doing or we're stupid or how, whatever else it might be, then do not we think that whatever we choose is going to be wrong. After all, I'm not very smart. I don't know how to think very well and think things through. So I'm going to make a bad choice. So we're afraid to make a choice also because when we make that choice, it exposes my stupidity and my weakness and all those bad things. If I have to pick between two things and everyone's watching and I pick one of them, well, then people will laugh at me or or I'll look bad for making that stupid choice decision so we'd rather not make that choice we doubt ourselves we doubt our thinking process our ability to critically look at what's going on and make the right choice so we'd rather not choose now something that the caller also mentioned that parents can do is they can create this feeling of i don't know how to make a good choice in their children and many parents but especially we see this so much in persian families this idea of, I know better than you, so I should tell you what to do. And that's what they even say. Well, well, I know better, so I told him to do this or to do that. I don't want him to get hurt, or I don't want them to suffer the consequences of making the bad choice. So because I care about them, because I love my children, I tell them what to do. It would, almost this feeling is it would be mean of me to withhold my knowledge and wisdom in helping them make the right decision, so I should tell them. But this is not true. First of all, it's debatable that you can make The right choice for someone. And we see this even that parents will tell their kids what food will taste better or what they like more, which again, preference is something that the individual can only experience, but we even get people to doubt what they like. Oh, no, no, this food is going to taste better. You're going to like this. Eat this. Don't eat that. This is good. It'll taste better to you. Again, you can't be in someone else's mouth and brain to know what it's going to taste like, but you tell them that you know better for them, what is going to be good for them. But also in bigger things too. Okay, with your friend, okay, tell your friend this. If you guys got in a fight, do that. Or even parents will tell the kids themselves. I even know lots of stories of parents texting their friends for them to try to resolve a conflict because I know better how to do it. I care about my child. I want him or her to have their friends, so let me fix the problem for them. An issue with the teacher, I'm going to come in and solve it. I'll talk to the teacher myself without the kid even having to get involved, and my child is just going to enjoy the beautiful, you know, smooth relationship with the teacher going on tomorrow, um, or whatever else the case may be. Sometimes it's done in a nice, positive way. Let me just do it for you, and oftentimes it's done in a very negative way. You don't know what you're talking about. Do this or do that, or, oh, my gosh, you're going to leave the house looking like that, or you don't have a jacket, you're a stupid kid, or you don't know what you're doing. If it wasn't for me, you'd be sick. Whatever else we might say in a negative way, but parents very often will show a very stark negative judgment towards their child when telling them they don't know what they're doing. But either way, we are teaching our kids that you can't decide for yourself. You don't know what you're doing. What you even want is wrong. What you think is wrong. And I have to make all the decisions for you because you don't know what's going on now the problem is of course it's already bad when they're kids um, first of all to let them see that even when you make a wrong choice it's not the end of the world you learn from it and then you can grow from it that's much better and parents think that one of their jobs is to make sure their kids feel no pain and never experience any kind of failure or shortcoming that's not true let them experience the pain and the shortcomings and the failures in small doses when they're kids. So they see that it's not a death sentence and it's not this horrible thing and doesn't reflect that they are bad. And especially to show them that they can be resilient and bounce back and that's actually how they're going to grow. Unfortunately, lots of parents prevent their kids from having any kind of failure when they're younger. And then when they face a bigger failure, once they're let's say in college or in their career, all of a sudden it's devastating because they've never experienced this before and they think it's evidence that they are not good enough or they're bad or they're doomed in some way. So already as kids, we should allow them to fail. But nonetheless, what we see as they get older is now they're pressed with making more important decisions. It's not just uh, when to do their homework or how to do their homework. It's picking a major in college or picking a career path for themselves, something where there isn't a right answer, and especially the right answer or the most right answer is going to come from what they want. We have to let them know, but they've been taught to doubt what they want and not even to to question what they want, unfortunately, so they don't know. Or especially when it comes to picking a partner to get married. We've told you a million times, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know which friends are good. I have to pick your friends for you. I have to pick so many things for you, but now I want you to pick a partner for the rest of your life. And then we get confused or concerned that why aren't they getting married and why aren't they choosing someone already? Well, of course you've taught them. They have no idea what they're thinking or what to even think or how to think. How are they supposed to figure this one out? So as parents, your role isn't to tell your kids what to do and to tell them this is right. And this is wrong. Your job is to help them understand how to think for themselves to determine what's right and wrong to them, because it could be different from what you think, and also what they prefer. What do they like? Do they like to you know, do this or do that? Do they prefer this thing over the other? And that's why even from a young age, I you know, I like to see parents even allowing their kids what to choose what they wear, even if it doesn't match well, or even if it's something goofy, but letting them know your preference and your want matters. It's not wrong. Your desire is what's important, not what I want for you or what other people think. What you want. Is right. Instead of, oh, you're, you're going to embarrass yourself. It's going to look bad. And of course, the parent is very often thinking, you're going to embarrass us. We're going to look bad more than the kid. The kid doesn't really care, but the parent cares and they try to put it on the child. Oh, no, I don't want my child to get ridiculed. So do this or do that or don't do this or don't do that. And we have them conform to what we think is good. But from a young age, we can show them that what you want matters. Oh, you like this? Great. We're going to do that. You don't like this? Okay. We won't do that. You want to try doing this with your friend, give it a try. Let's see what happens and give them these chances to explore their own mind. We're not supposed to teach them what's right or wrong. We're supposed to teach them or allow for them to determine what's right or wrong for themselves. And then when they get older to make those decisions. Now, another thing that people do when it comes to indecisiveness is they beat themselves up about past decisions. They say, oh, you know, I I took this job and look, it was the worst thing ever. Or, um, I picked this teacher for this class and he was the hardest one there was. And, I, you know, that was such a bad decision. Or even, you know, bigger things. Oh, I drove this way and I got in a car accident. Like, why did I take this road? I should have taken another road. And we have a lot of regret and even guilt about making the wrong decisions. What we always have to keep in mind is what we're responsible for when we make a decision is just the knowledge we had at the time that we made the decision. So if you, for example, chose a certain road to go to work and you got in a car accident or there was, let's say, even more traffic than usual on that path, when you made the choice, if it was a choice that made sense, that's all that matters. You can't beat yourself up for things that happen after the fact. For example, if you booked a flight for your friend to travel across the country as a president, you picked one of the flights and let's say, God forbid, the flight crashes and they died, you can't say, I I, I feel bad that I chose that flight or beat yourself up for picking a flight. There's no way for you to know when you were choosing the flight that one of them would be more dangerous than another one. You were just choosing it based on probably things like convenience and price, which are the right things to use in making that decision. We can't go back and second-guess a decision with new information that became available after the fact. That doesn't make sense, but people do this all the time. They beat themselves up for making a decision that they had no way of knowing was going to turn out bad. It's okay. You made the choice when what you knew was that these two things seemed equal. It turned out one of them was bad, one of them was good. There's no way for you to know. And sometimes that indecisiveness comes from that. Okay, I have to pick a date, either Saturday or Sunday, to do this outdoor picnic. And it's months in advance so we can't know the weather and you're going to pick one of them and you go crazy. What if it rains on this one or it rains on that one? Well, you don't really know. So choose it based on whatever other information you have that makes the most sense. And the rest is really not up to you to see what happens. If it turns out it rains on that day, you might say, oh, I knew I should have picked Sunday instead of Saturday. But you don't really know. There's no way for you to know. So we have to make sure we don't beat ourselves up for making a decision with information that was available to us because of information that later on became available or results that happened after the fact, you don't really know. So, even for a caller, picking the right orthodontist, for example, you can do a little research and ask some people that might know, but after that, you don't really know what's going to happen. You have to just choose one and go forward. Or she mentioned this too choosing a school for your kids. You do a little bit of research, but there's no way to really know. And of course, the larger the stakes, the more afraid we become and if it's for our kids we become even more scared of making the wrong choice but we can only do so much to know what's going to happen we can't predict the future we can just make the best choice we can in the present alright we've reached our last commercial break for the show studio number 310 you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui we'll be right back Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air.
3: Hi, Dr. Fadid. How are you? I'm
0: good. Thank you. Thanks for calling.
3: Sure. Thank you for your wonderful insights and oh, thank this you. Wonderful program.
0: My pleasure. Um,
3: yeah. So I want to run this by you. Everything you just spoke about was so much pertaining to my situation all my life. Um, I've been troubled with such indecisions and like... Um, lack of decisiveness, and I'm 40 years old. Um, let me just quickly run by you. I'm <laughs> six years in um, AA, uh, sober. And I've you. been di- Thank you. I've been diagnosed with anxiety and ADD, like, since childhood, but I've been taking the minimal medications since six years. Um, but recently I've been experiencing new symptoms of, like, sense of depression, um wanting to sleep more and eat more mm-hmm. and I've uh, heard through your dad's program that kind of ADD and such things when at a certain age it kind of turns into depression inevitably so I think I'm feeling at those progresses but uh, I think it's really compounded because of my career issues and um, I've taken three years worth of all the classes for um, architecture like all the computer programs and uh, at the brink of transferring for the five-year program um to university but um i'm having trouble getting the portfolio done and that's actually part of my main questions and issues um is that i sabotage myself last Mm. minute before um getting to the next level of success it seems like i have like this glass ceiling of um where you know how good i can feel about myself school-wise and stuff
0: so um well you know that's you know that's heartbreaking because you are it seems like you recognize you're hurting yourself um Mm -hmm. and very likely from what you've described so far maybe you're not sure you deserve better so you're putting that limit on yourself and you know being sober six years is incredible accomplishment it's not easy to do and i'm sure it's been a challenge um but also i hope you've been getting lots of treatment because we know that a big part of addiction is that there was something we were escaping or something we were medicating ourselves from, and then you take away what we were using, and now we're, dealt with, we're left with a lot of emotions that need to be dealt with and a lot of issues that need to be looked at. And so you're still going to be carrying those forward. Thankfully, you're not doing the harmful uh, behavior that you were doing during addiction, but it doesn't mean part of what led to your addiction, those issues have just gone away you still have those things so um good for you that you've you know so gotten yourself sober and then also you're continuing i think to work that but also getting yourself uh, your education going and then now you're getting to this hard place where you really could get to somewhere good for yourself but it seems like you're not sure you deserve it
3: yes so so the 12-step program and you know working the steps is Mm -hmm. very helpful in kind of figuring those stuff out from the past and, and overcoming those glitches. But since I started school, I kind of um, maybe substituted the behavior of um, just focusing on school and and, um, not really doing the steps as much. So the growth part emotionally has not been as steady for the past three years. Um, I've gotten maybe help for maybe 10, 20 sessions throughout this these years, and I know I could probably use more. You're saying um, 10, 20 was...
0: sessions of individual therapy? Yes. Okay. Yeah, sure. And, you know, to me, that's like, uh, especially the way you're describing it as sporadic and potentially with different therapists, that's kind of like scratching the surface. Scratching so, the pressure, you know, yeah, really, we can maybe, we only have maybe 10 minutes or so, so I might not yeah. have as much time as I would have liked to get to know yourself and your past even more deeply but I'm sure there's a lot back there that you're carrying with you that yeah. isn't going to just go away with a few sessions and you know going to AA or any kind of group can be incredibly helpful for people and I uh, I want to make sure I don't minimize that in what I'm going to say next because that serves a certain function that's very important but at the same time individual therapy can do different things that group cannot do just like group can do things that an individual therapy does not do so I would hope okay. you give yourself both that you continue going to uh, the AA meetings because as you know, you know, you want to, as you were saying, continue to work the, the system and the steps, but then also give yourself the opportunity to be in long-term individual therapy to address whatever issues are, are there that contributed potentially to the addiction and might be related to what you're dealing with now in limiting yourself. And of course, things like self-esteem, are the ones that uh, you know are blaring that maybe you don't value yourself or maybe. believe you deserve it, yeah. and very often we know shame and self-esteem issues can be uh, part of people who deal with addiction. They're usually dealing with issues related to shame and self-esteem, uh, amongst other things. So, uh, you know, my guess is that that's something you're dealing with.
3: Yes, absolutely. It's a very much familiar um, behavior pattern, and, mm-hmm. and you know, emotion paddle, pattern to the point of like being used to it almost you know and almost not noticing it until other symptoms come up like self-sabotage and and such Mm -hmm. but um the right now and that's why psychology itself is so fascinating to me and and maybe calls me to go towards that field instead of just continuing for, for architecture perhaps because i'm afraid just um focusing on this kind of field um and and putting all my time into that right now and i'm not myself, you know, basically psychology is an option that I'm, like, considering as, okay. as a career path and a study path instead, which is such a huge shift um, that, like, it's hard to make that decision,
0: mm-hmm.
3: so I well, don't know.
0: Well, yeah, that, that is hard, and uh, we probably won't un- unravel it in, in the few minutes that we have, but we yeah. do want to make sure, something that you have to make sure for yourself, that Um, Of course, I'm okay with people changing careers at whatever age they are at if they're making the right choice, but you have to make sure you're not doing it because you're getting to the step where things are going to get more um, intense, or it might even ask more of you, or you might get to some level of achievement, and that would be a really shame if that was the reason you were stopping and switching fields, because you might be interested in psychology, but I'm wondering, is architecture still interesting to you? And do you enjoy what you're doing, or what you imagine you do as a career?
3: Yeah, well, that's the thing. Uh, architecture, as the creative aspects of architecture, are very interesting to me. Um, and the school part is very much creative aspects, but um, in the actual field, the more I'm seeing it, is not very much that. You're not going to end up doing these, you know, interesting designs on one's own. Unless, even if I had my own firm, I don't think I would have that kind of a freedom to, to do these wild designs, basically, which I'm really more inclined to do than those technical aspects. I'm not a very technical person. Um, those really bore me. I'm more of an artist at heart, and um, and I like to analyze things. I wanted to study philosophy and psychology in high school, but um, got diverted with other behaviors. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I don't know, I think I just kind of figured architecture is such a, like, more practical pragmatic way to do art and but the more I'm seeing the career, it's not necessarily um, you know I, I see people that are so much more um, interested in that kind of work and the competition would be uh, definitely there that like and I think I would have a better edge towards you know something like psychology and
0: um, Well it's, it's so, possible I don't know. I'll just tell you my own intuition in, in talking you felt that um, you were kind of on the, the path you're on is okay, but you're, you just want to get away from where it might get really hard and might get more intense and maybe self-sabotaging yourself. Like it felt more of a, I don't want to see this till the end rather than I really don't don't like it. Because, I mean, the things, you know, (laughs) psychology and things, and I don't mean to sound like a Persian parent because I know a lot of times I hear them say, you know, you'll tell them, You want to be an artist and they'll say, "Okay, go become a doctor and do art on the side, you know, and like, you know, Mm -hmm. paint paint in your big house that you you have because of all the money you make. Um, But I feel like, you know, psychology and things, I'm sure we're all psychologists to a degree as far as like studying behavior and people and people who've gone through addiction tend to be even more like that because you've had to really take a hard look at yourself and your own psychology and all these other people's people psychology that you get exposed to, to through the group so I, I'm sure it's something that really fascinates you and interests you and maybe it is the right career path for you but the feeling I got in how you described things was that oh you know I might not be able to compete or I might not be able to this and maybe you won't enjoy it and yeah. that is important um, and of course I'd love to have you as a colleague if you follow you know the psychology path but I want to make sure it, it's for the right reasons and that you're not self-sabotaging yourself. I, I,
2: that's exactly
3: actually what my uh, kind of blind side is mm-hmm. not knowing whether that's that's what I'm doing or not. To be yeah. honest, I mean, and, that, and I have to kind of tease it out and see if if it's the sabote- saboteur in me or mm-hmm. it's just uh, actually the field that right i mistakenly got into and now i have to shift it it's yeah really how, hard to, <laughs> it
0: is going to be hard to tell um and you know a lot of these decisions there isn't a black and white where you're going to mm-hmm. figure it out 100 percent. you know almost mm-hmm. no decision like this is 100 um yeah. how much do you have left you're saying to to get years a couple years away from finishing your degree
3: no not really i mean it's a five-year program if i get placed even in third year um next fall not even this fall um, I would have another three years, okay. and then all the hours, and then take the exam and all that
0: stuff. So yeah, and so another thing I did feel, and I, I you know, I want to be delicate in how they, I say this, but it was almost like you were afraid of the hard work. Not that I'm saying right. you haven't worked hard already. <laughs> I'm sure you have, but it almost seemed like you were like, oh my gosh, it's going to get harder, and, and I can get that, maybe it's even scary somewhere unconsciously, if I get overstressed, will that push me back towards addiction, maybe a lot of things go through your mind, but that's something I felt in your description, was it's going to be a lot of work. And, there,
3: is, there is that, yeah. I just want to make sure that the
2: hard work is going to go towards oh, sure, I can understand that, of course, you're
0: that. right, and I don't, yeah, we don't want you to do it for, you know, in, in a field, but that was something I felt in how you described it, that um, also concern me that i wouldn't want you to make the decision for that because if you want to go into Mm -hmm. psychology to eventually get a a, an undergraduate and graduate degree it's going to be a lot of hard work and then you have to do your hours there too so every path is going to be difficult and i'm sure you know that but maybe that's something that could deter you when you start to get to the resistant part or the hard work part which really hard and again i'm not trying to undermine the hard work you've already done to get to where you are but yeah. that when it gets to that real challenging place, that can overwhelm you for various degrees. One is you mentioned the low self-esteem, so you might doubt mm-hmm. yourself. You even mm-hmm. mentioned right now, of oh, I, maybe I won't be able to compete with those other people that enjoy it more than I do, but maybe there is some self-doubt bigger than just the enjoyment part. Um, but also that the stress becomes too much, and that can overwhelm me, and I'm sure that is something that at some level concerns you, that I have to make sure and balance all my stress. And you do yeah, have to I do that. that that's a good point. Um, so, you know, we do have to wrap up. I would say definitely go into individual therapy because you have a lot to work through because anyone, everyone does. But especially if you've dealt with addiction, uh, overcoming it is amazing. But then dealing with the emotions that are still there is very important to help protect you and also give yourself the life that you want. And you deserve great things. So there's, you know, there's some good news and, the, and bad news. The bad news is that you might doubt yourself and doubt what you deserve and because of that self-sabotage yourself and avoid certain things but the good news is you're wrong that you're not worse than anyone else that you deserve good things and you are good and you can give that to yourself and so it's getting yourself to that point where you realize you were wrong about how you feel about yourself which takes a long long time Uh, and even in therapy it takes a long time but hopefully when you get there and start making progress in that regard you'll you'll recognize i don't need to sabotage myself I deserve good things and I can also accomplish really good things and then give that to yourself.
3: Yeah, I would love to have all that happen. I just have to make this decision I think like by the end of summer, I think. So <laughs> That's <laughs> like, a big
0: one. I would say I would <laughs> hope you continue for now and then if you decide to change your mind, you can always. But I would say again, I would, you know, find a therapist today, you know, that okay. I would start immediately, but I yeah. hope you continue and then you know, if you have to change paths, you do because you you might give up on um, the momentum that you already have if you decide yeah. to switch midstream. But, you know, we, we only had a few minutes to talk, got and I, I'm glad I got to talk to you, but there's much you more try. to look at, so I hope you'll look at it more deeply on your own.
2: Okay. Thank you so nice much. Nice talking to you.
0: Best of luck to you. Yes. Take care.
3: Thank you. you too.
0: All right. Bye bye. All right. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Raman here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Adolakwi. Have a wonderful day.